Welcome to Money Mondays, powered by the Joseph Business School, where we bring you up-to-date money news for your personal finances and businesses. I am your host, Jill Thompson. May is Inventors Month. Here at Money Mondays, our home base is Chicago. Did you know that brownies, the Ferris wheel, yellow pencils, the zipper, the softball, the blood bank, vacuum cleaner, electric dishwasher, and the wireless remote are all among the list of Chicago inventions. The American newspaper world was introduced to the first professional film critic in 1914 when the Chicago Tribune hired Jack Lawson as the first paid full-time film critic. He paved the way for Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, the frozen pastry industry came to life under the Sarah Lee Corporation in the 1950s. The first skyscraper in the world was created in Chicago in 1884 at 10 stories high and 138 feet tall. I bet you can't guess this one. Do you know where the first cartoon character was created? Yep, again, you guessed it, Chicago by cartoonist Wallace Carlson and Windsor McKay, who created Gertie the Dinosaur in 1914. I have one more piece of trivia. Where was deep dish pizza created? You guessed it, right here in Chicago by Ike Sewell in 1943 for the Pizzeria Uno. Twinkies, Cracker Jacks, Juicy Fruit Gum, Oscar Mayer Wiener, Jay's Potato Chips, Italian Beef, and the Chicago-style hot dog are many of the other Chicago-based known inventions. Today on Money Mondays, we want to take a look and examine what gadgets, products, or unique inventions God has placed on the inside of each of you. Our pastor, Dr. Bill Winston, often says we are designed by God to create according to Genesis 1 and 28. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. To be fruitful means to produce, to create, to make public, or to bring forth. Each of us have this ability or potential on the inside of us. I want to introduce Calvin Flowers, president and founder of the Chicago Inventors Organization. He and his organization have been keeping the art of inventing alive and well in the city of Chicago. Mr. Flowers, welcome to Money Mondays. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Jill. Um, I am so excited to be here. Listen, we are excited to have you. I mean, honestly, it's like sitting down with a legend. This is <laughs> this is a very, <laughs> I am super excited about this time and that you're here. Mr. Flowers, can you tell us the story? How did you come up with the Chicago Inventors Organization? Uh, actually, I didn't. I, I, I had no intentions of being part of an inventors organization. Wow. Um, but but I'll I tell, you, tell you, I don't know how much time we have, but I'm going to try to keep it short and brief, but trying to include, you know, the most important important uh, uh, points about it. But first, I just want to tell you a little bit about the Chicago Inventors Organization. Yeah. Now, now we are a nonprofit 501c3. And basically, uh, what we do and what we're committed to do is to help inventors navigate the invention process. And, and when I say help inventors, I'm talking about all inventors, but, um, um, but lately we've been really proud of the work that we have been doing in the underserved communities. Mm. Um, now, basically when I say help navigate the invention process, the way the Chicago Inventors Organization, organization does it is that we, we normally have monthly meetings during normal times every second Saturday of the month. And in those meetings, you know, we typically, everybody comes in, they doing face to face and, you know, pressing the flesh and all that sort of thing. And, um, and those meetings are normally conducted by some type of expert uh, that's relevant to the invention process. That could be a prototyper, it could be a, a patent attorney, it could be a, a manufacturer, investor, buyer. Um, so, so we have those monthly meetings, but during these times right now, we have what we, uh, we, we meet every Friday night on Zoom. And we do try to follow the same template. We have an expert that's relevant to the invention process and that sort of thing. Now, another thing that we do is we hook inventors up with credible resources. We, I'm talking about, we don't want them running to those late night TV programs, you know, like, 
I won't say the name of the, the, the companies, but start your invention now. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, call my friends at an invent help. I, <laughs> okay. hope I didn't mean to say that, but anyway, but it, it, it's true. I, we don't want them going there. We want them to be involved in every step of, of, of the process because at the end of the day, when you're negotiating a deal, if you don't know how things work, how thing, what the process looks like, you're going to be a, a poor negotiator. So we, so we hook you up with credible resources, at least resources we believe to be credible, but we want you to be able to do your own vetting of those resources so that you'll feel comfortable with it. Then we have entrepreneurial inventor classes every Tuesday night. And those things, uh, they, they are critical in understanding the process. When you talk about pricing, you talk about marketing, business planning, that sort of thing. And then, of course, we have our annual conference, which this year is going to be broke up a little bit. But and then the last thing that we do is uh, we're starting to do is we have a road show where we are introducing our inventors that's ready to go to market or getting yeah that's or close to going to market. We introduce them to um, to buyers and investors. Now to your point, but I had to tell you about the Chicago Inventors Organization. But to your point, now we got started back in 2004, and uh, how it got started got started was. I'm an inventor myself, and I was fortunate enough to sell my product nationwide in Walgreens. And as a result of that, uh, I got a lot of press. I got a lot of publicity. Uh, Mary Mitchell, the Sun Times, she did a piece on me. Uh, Harry Porterfield, someone you should know, did a piece. Uh, Chicago Tribune and a whole whole lot of other the WGN. I, I, I was just all over the place. But from that press and all that publicity, I thought I was gonna, that was mostly about sale. I mean, you know, I, I, I thought it was reaching my audience for the sale of the product, but it's reaching to a lot of inventors that I didn't know. People were calling me from, you know, doing my work hours, my hours of operation, asking, hey, Calvin, how did you do that? Can I get a half hour of your time? Can I get an hour of your time to, you know, just explain to me how to get my invention off the ground? And it turned out there were so many of them. Um, um, that I asked, uh, yeah, at the time I was, I was um, my business was housed in uh, Olive Harvey College. They had an incubator program there. So I asked the president of the college, would he allow me to use the auditorium to talk to all these inventors? And they were all black. And, and so uh, after I shared my journey, talked to them, you know, the dude, you know, what my experience was. At the, end, at the conclusion of that, they, everybody was saying, why don't we start a non-profit uh, non inventors organization? And I was telling them, y'all start one, not me, I got a business to run. But I, I would you know, advise y'all you know, whenever, whenever I can. And um, so they ended up starting a non-profit black in Chicago, black inventors organization. And my mentor at the time, uh, Say, Calvin, if they're going to be calling you all the time, you might as well be part of it. So they drafted me into it, and I've been with it ever since this 2004. Wow. So we want to thank you for your commitment to the organization, but just not to the organization, but just the key thing that you said that, which is your commitment to disinvested communities of color, um, primarily where people really don't, they really don't know that a lot of inventions come from African-American communities. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and that's one of the reasons that we named it the Chicago Black Inventors, uh, because you know we've always been an inventor people. It's just that we didn't have the resources, we didn't have the, the money, we didn't have the know-how, you know, to to, to capitalize on, on what we came up with. So part of the you know part of what we you know we're open to all inventors. Now, don't get me wrong here. But we have a uh, uh, we we have a strong interest in helping that black inventor um, connect with the resources that they need to take a, a product to to from the idea stage, put some protection on it, and then eventually take it to market. Wow! And so as we're talking about these different black inventors, or just in, inventors in general, because of course, as you stated, the organization is not specifically about my, the minority community, but getting inventions to the market. Can you talk about the different inventions that you've seen come through your organization? And maybe you can share a few with us. Well, some of them, for, for obvious reasons, um, 
because of the secrecy and uh, you know the, the protection, protection. protection. Yeah, yeah, protection issue. And by the way, um, we we were talking about patents. I forgot to mention that we are affiliated with the pro bono patent program, wow. which means that if you if you qualify, you can actually get your patent done for free. Wow. You know, so uh, so that that might I, I, I forgot to mention that earlier. I'm sure but, you just piqued a lot of inventors' attention with that one right there. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, patents can start off with $5,000 and up and, uh, you know, and I, I'm not talking about the filing fees in the, in the actual artwork. I'm talking about just paying the patent attorney. Wow. And, and so we are affiliated with, with, uh, with that, uh, you know, that type of resource. So, but uh, you're asking me uh, about some of the inventions that I've seen come through? Yes, sir. Well, well, we have seen... We, we have seen some really, really good ones, and we see some like, wow, what are they thinking about? But, <laughs> <laughs> but some of, you know, but, but, but I never laugh at the inventions. You know, when you think about it, you, 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 you look at the Snuggie on TV. That's nothing but a, what, a blanket with some sleeves on it, right? But they're making millions of dollars off yes. or Or even the pet lock. Now, who, who, you know, so you don't laugh at somebody's invention, you know, because, you, you know, even though I said my first time, like, man, but, but this, you know, it, it depends on where your skill set and where your resources are. But some of the people that, um, that, um, that just come to mind right off the bat, um, we, um, we, I got one right up here. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it, but this, can you see that? Yes, sir. It's, it's people with spinal injuries or bad backs. It's, it's called the Williams, the Williams back supporter. But it, you know, it lifts the weight up off your spine, up, you know, it, it put the brace up under your, your, the pit of your arms and, and, and take the pressure off your spine. But then um, we have a, a, a lady by the name Charlesetta Pulse. She has a dental guard. You know, when you go to the dentist and, you know, sometimes, you know, they go in your mouth and stuff start dripping down on your clothes or blood to get everywhere. It's a dental guard that uh, she's selling to, to, to some big time dentists right now. And um, then we got uh, uh, one by Coach Williams. He does the easy pop tennis he t where he teaches people how to do tennis and, but the other people that's gonna come that's coming on your show, they really got some exciting products too. But but that was, that was just to name a couple. Wow. And so well, we'll tease our audience a little bit. And what Mr. Flowers is telling us is that we actually have two inventors who have come through the Chicago Inventors Organization. And they'll be on our segment a little bit later to tell us about their products and inventions of which they have created and have gone to market. I'm talking even massive businesses like Nordstrom's or Saks or things like that. Their products have been featured there. But just to, to name a few or talk about you specifically, Mr. Flowers, I know you stated that you're an inventor. Can you talk about what are some things you have invented? Well, the one that I'm, I'm most known for is, is called Security Jack. And um, I did Security Jack. I don't know if you are you, I don't know if you're old enough to remember the old rotary phone. You know, we had to dial you. Yes, it. sir. Yes, sir. I remember <laughs> that phone. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Sometimes you might have seen a silver lock that was on there that prevented the dial from turning. Yes. Okay. Now, that was used because parents or the owner of the phone, you know, they would try to keep their telephone bill down, you know, so, so, um, so a lot of times you, you go to somebody's house, they might have a silver lock on it. But when the touch tone telephone came out, that lock went out because it, 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 the touch tone, it, it no longer had that dial on it. And so I invented a way to lock the touch tone telephone and I did it mm -hmm. so where it operates with the key. And, and, and the reason I came up with it is because I'm from a family of seven kids. And by the way, there's only one phone line. Well, she had two lines, but one, one, one. Yeah, I'll just say two lines, but one phone. And, but at the end of the month, my mom, sometimes she'd be planning to buy a dress or something. And look up the phone bill be sky high, you know, because back then Ameritech and uh, SBC, they used to charge by they used to have what they call local calls, local long distance, and then long distance, and your phone bill could be you know it could be whopping. So 
Um, so I came up with a way that, that it was designed to help us save money. I came up with a way to lock the touchstone telephone with the key. Okay. But it but it turned out that it had more benefits than that because when the touchstone phones came out, it also the internet was coming through there. You know, uh, you know, remember AOL, uh, darn, 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 the dollar. Darn. Yeah, the yeah. dollar, right, right. So that was coming through there. The faxes was coming through there, and then your regular phone. So, and you still had that local long and local and local long distance and all that stuff coming. So you still get your phone, your phone because still be ran up. So when I came up with this 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 uh, what, this this telephone lock, which we call a security jack, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. Right. Okay. You see where the lock is on the jack? Yes, sir. Okay. Now the the reason I had to put it on the jack because it, the touchstone phones had detachable cords. So you know, so you put it on the phone. All somebody had to do is un, 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 you know attach the phone and put their own phone there and still make a phone call. So. So I put it there, but one of the real benefits of it is that when AOL was was uh, uh, um, providing this internet service, a lot of kids were getting in trouble in them chat rooms, and parents then this was brand new to parents. They didn't know how, they didn't understand how to you know what to do about that. So it turns out that this turned out to be an excellent uh, uh, super you know way to supervise their children on the internet. That's good to know. So that's good to know. I'm sure there are probably a few parents now that are listening. <laughs> They're probably going to contact you and figure out how to order it. <laughs> well, well, that was before all these cell phones. These cell phones came out, and you know, so that was this. This before this before that time, but um, so I was able to sell this nationwide and at Walgreens. And believe me, Jill, I had negative money. I had no money at all, but I raised a ton of money um, through friends and neighbors, and they were all broke, all poor, but I got them to believe in me. And we, we raised that money. We messed up a lot of money together because I was transparent on every every move I made. So when, when things messed up, they messed up. So we, we were all in that together. So, but, and I had no clue on the manufacturing process and I definitely didn't know how to do business with a, a, a company the size of Walgreens. And I say Walgreens, but we ended up doing super value cook foods in a couple of other places. But we, we ended up learning how to, to do all that. So, so, wow. so, so what it sounds by the time. That, what it sounds as though is that your organization was actually birthed out of a place of you really not even knowing where to go or what to do. Right, right, exactly. So that's why I'm so passionate and how I was so I was empathetic toward inventors because there's no, there was no, no organization around to, to kind of help me not mess that money up or help me navigate that, that process. But, um, but, once we hit the market and things are starting to start to roll really good, um, a company, a small company, by well, uh, subsidiary, uh, General, can you see that General Electric? Yes, sir. The lock, yes. Okay, you see that? They, yeah, they got the wall plate version. They infringed on my patent. And we took them, uh, it, it was the subsidiary of General Electric, it was called uh, Jasco Products. We took them to court and we prevailed in court. We walked away with a really healthy settlement. So we we took on the giant. And uh, uh, so I like to always say not that I've been from the idea stage to the market to litigation. So that's kind of the story of my product. Is is a whole lot more, but I want to take up all your time with that. But that's, that's excellent. Gist. I'm so grateful that you're here to actually share with our inventors who are watching about that there is a resource now that they can actually take advantage of and actually come to an organization like the Chicago Inventors Organization. And then not only that, but there's money available because I did not know inventions can take up to five thousand dollars. And so when you talk it's about just for <laughs> a patent can take up to $5,000. So when you're talking about disinvested communities, yes, we're really truly talking about people of color who may not even have, let alone $5,000, but let's talk about a financial statistic of $1,000 in, in, in a savings account. And so Mr. Flowers, can you tell people where can they go to, what's the website for the Chicago Inventors Organization? And if they wanted to call and ask some questions, what's a phone number they can be, they can actually contact? Okay, www.chicago, 
chicago-inventors.org. That's chicago-inventors with an S.org. And our phone number is 312-850-4710. 312-850-4710. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Up next, we have Chicago-born designer, inventor, and manufacturer, Jermiko Shoshana of Chicago. She was the first African-American woman to own a store on Chicago's upscale Magnificent Mile. Her clothing has been featured in over 679 stores internationally, including Saks and Nordstrom's. She has designed pieces for Spike Lee's 2015 film, Chirac and Empire. In 2016, her hoodie design caught the eye of Beyonce as she wore it in her Pray You Catch Me video. Jermiko is the CEO of Jermiko Designs, Inc. and the first African-American in history to ever receive a patent on a wearable. Money Monday audience, help me welcome to the segment, Jermiko Shoshana. Thank you, my, my pleasure. I really wanted to actually start this segment out by acknowledging who you are. I mean, I know we've read a little bit about your bio, but I really want to emphasize this, that you are the first African-American woman to own a store on Chicago's Magnificent Mile. I mean, what an accomplishment. Yeah. So listen, everybody who's listening, from now on, when we have Women's History Month from now on in the month of February, we know who we need to add to the list, okay? <laughs> but Ms. Jamiko, tell us your story. How did you get started? Well, uh, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> as far back as you need to. All right, all right. Uh, there's a lady who just wrote a book and she put me in this book and uh, all the history that I gave her I thought it would just be a paragraph, but it wasn't, it's like six pages. So I grew up, um, I was actually born here. And then I grew up with my granny in, in Tallulah, Louisiana on uh, Walter Scott's plantation. And uh, so I'm a plantation girl. It was the same plantation where the family were slaves, but they just never left. So um, at 10 years old, my grandmother called my mother and said, this kid does not pay attention to the signs that says no entry. <laughs> Black folks can't come in. You better come get her before they lynch her. They already killed her little friend and she's next. So my grandma, my mom came to get me. Now I remember with the day that I got here, the next day, well, growing up down south, we had an outhouse and, and coal oil lamps. There was no electricity. So I never saw electricity and flushing toilets until I got here. Wow. And my sister, who was extremely light, I didn't know she was my sister because she looked white. But anyway, we lived with her. And so my first day here, I spent the whole day flushing toilets and turning on lights. <laughs> Listen, to you, that was an invention, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then I, of course, with the school here and blah, 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 blah. And so uh, in high school, I was told that I couldn't be what I want to be because there were no Black folks in it. But... Uh, a, a supervisor at Illinois Bell uh, threatened to fire me if I didn't go find a school that I really wanted to go to, to to become what I wanted to become. So I enrolled at the Art Institute and the University of Chicago concurrently, where I studied art at the University of Chicago, art and design, and then at the, at the Art Institute and then at the University of Chicago, psychology. I figured uh, if one didn't work, the other would. So I had lots of scholarships and I went to do my apprenticeship at the Creme de la Creme store on Michigan Avenue. It was 900 North Michigan Avenue where the 900 building is now that was Stanley Corsat's. And so if you were a wealthy woman or an entertainer, you always went to Corsat's to buy your clothes. So I met people there like Mrs. Uh, Wrigley, who, you know, the Wrigley chewing gum people. As a matter of fact, we became friends later on in life and Wrigley Field and also um, McCormick Place and all those kinds of people. Wow. I always wanted to have my own business, but I didn't know anything about business. So Mr. Korshak asked me if I wanted to learn and I said, yeah. So he gave me an, a, an apprenticeship in his store. After that, um, I went to, well, since I had four, four jobs and putting myself through school, I never had any time to go anyplace and do anything. So 
Uh, and one of my jobs was pumping gas because back in the day, you didn't pump your own gas. Somebody pumped it for you. And the other was parking cars, car hiker. So the newspaper did a story on this girl that was the first girl car hiker and the first girl gas station attendant. <laughs> and that was you. Yeah, that was me, yeah. And so then after graduation, I went to New York to work for some companies there, but I always wanted to have my own, but I didn't know how, or I was having too much fun to do it. So I moved back here and I met a lady named Nan Mason, who is a singer now at the pump at the uh, Drake Hotel. At the time she was at the pump room and she invited me to come there because she wanted me to design an outfit for a friend of hers that ended up being Terry Murphy with Channel 7. And that was the first time they were gonna be doing Chicago Emmys here. And so I met with the lady, gorgeous lady, and uh, I designed this dress for her and charged her $480. Well, she invited me to this private club called Faces, which used to be on Rush Street. But I needed something spectacular to wear. So I went home and I made myself a pair of gold lame jeans. I packed them, they looked just like blue jeans but I need a blouse. So I went up on Oak Street where I lived at 1 East Scott. I knew that I needed to have the right address if I intended on designing things for white people. Mm -hmm. I needed to know how they lived and who they were and who they liked and have them like me. Anyway, so I went up to Oak Street, which I had never been, even though I lived on Scott Street to buy a blouse. And the cheapest blouse Bottega Glacier I had was $135. I got $50. This is not going to work. Wow. But I'm not going to not take the, the, the blouses in the dressing room and try them on. So I'm in this dressing room and um, lady, the sales lady comes and opens the curtain and she says, oh, those are gorgeous. Where did you get them? I guess she thought I was stealing. I said, I made them. So she said, wow. And she came back with two other ladies who wanted to know the same question. So when I left the store that day, I had an order for five pair of jeans. That was the day my business started. Anyway, I went home and I thought, well, wait a minute, I got $50. I, I need to get fabric. I need to get a sewing machine. I need to get this and that and the other. And so I called Terry and I asked her if she would pay me ahead of time because I just started business that day and I wouldn't be able to go out with her that night because I had to get things ready. So um, she said, well, I'll loan it to you. And I said, now I want to start business in debt. So she said, I'll pay you. Okay. So then I thought, well, I need fabric and blah, 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 blah. And there was one salesman who would always wait until it was time to go home to come and show me his fabric. And I would always say, why do you do this? And he'd say, because I want to end my day with a hug, a joke, and a smile. And that's what I get from you. Aww. So I figured that hug, joke, and smile ought to be worth some credit. <laughs> so I, I, I called Mr. Singer and I told him I had just started business. And if he would please go to his people and get me some credit for fabric. And where can I find Gola May? And he said, I got it. So that's how that got started. Uh, and then um, after that, I went to every store that I knew on Oak Street and Michigan Avenue. I sold Bonwood Colors. I knew it wasn't really right for Stanley Corsack, so I didn't even bother to go there. But I went to him for, for business advice. And uh, I got my business started. And then I met the woman who was Lynn Goldblatt DeRosia. Lynn Goldblatt was married to Goldblatt. Does so anybody remember Goldblatt? Mm -hmm. And then she divorced him and married Leo DeRosia. So she became my niece because I ran into the problem of color. And I was not going to let that stop me. And I remember explaining to her, you can't tell people that I'm an African-American designer. I think we were Black then, a color. I don't remember because this was back in 1979. And you know, we've been through a lot of names. So I might've been colored back then. I don't know. <laughs> wow. anyway, so she became my muse and I moved to 12 East Grand out of my apartment and uh, went on the bill from there. So they told me in 1979, 1997, when I became the first African-American to win designer of the year in the fashion industry that, um, uh, how did they put it, that uh, I, I had the largest female African-American owned manufacturing company in the country. My goodness. Uh, and it started with $50, two tree trunks, a home sewing machine, a metal card playing table, three yards of fabric, and a six pound doll. 
My goodness. <laughs> and so I went on to sell stores and I kept my face and my name. Well, I kept my face out of newspapers and magazines and TV and all of that by putting the ego aside because I knew it wasn't going to work. I, I, my grandmother used to tell me something. She used to say, you got to feed a hungry man before you can talk to him. And I never really knew what that meant until I became a designer and I was getting in these stores that were not my color and dressing women that didn't feel that this kid from uh, High Park or 47th Street deserved to tell them how they should dress. And, so, and the stores who didn't believe that the color of my skin was good enough to buy clothes from because I had a lot of stores cancel orders once they found out. And for, so for me, that meant that once green was being made, black didn't matter. Hmm. And, and that's how it was. So I knew that they may not invite me to lunch. They may not invite me to do a personal appearance at this, this store, but they were going to buy the clothes. They just that's wanted to so sit. Amazing. Right. And so you're, you're, you know what, what you're saying is what's amazing about your story is, is from what we know about you is you're not just a, a inventor, but you're actually a serial inventor. So there are several things you've come up with. Many. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about that? Yes. So I have this little dog. This is where invention started. I have this little dog that I found or stole. I'm not real sure because I used to steal dogs. If you treated them badly, I'd take them home. So his name was Lonesome. He was the little Australian terrier I talked about. And so uh, I had to take him to the doctor when I was in college. And it cost me $18. In college, $18 back in those days was like $1,000. So I called my attorney and I said, Ira, uh, is there anything like pet insurance on the market? And he said, no. I said, good, then can you help me invent it? And he said, okay, call this guy in California. So I called this guy in California, of course, with all the jobs I had and going to school, uh, something got dropped somewhere or the guy wasn't very nice. But now they got pet insurance and it started in California. So then the next thing happened is I had a roommate and um, I needed to study at night and not disturb her. So I called Ira again. I said, Ira, is there anything where there's a light that will just shine on my book and nobody else? He said, no. I said, well, I'd like to invent it. So he said to me, I'll get back to you. I'm still waiting on Ira to get back to me. And this was in the 70s. So fast forward, um, a friend of mine who we lived together bought a bird. And when I, that's the bird that was on my shoulder. And when I came home, there was a vacuum cleaner in the middle of the floor in a cage as big as a house and a bird that looked like a pigeon. And I knew that I didn't want to live with this bird because it was throwing stuff out the cage. So the first thing I invented was a cage cover and that will keep everything in the cage and, 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 and the, he could play with his bird. And so I called Ira again and said, Ira, do you like birds? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, they're dirty. And I said, well, what if they were clean? He said, then I'd get one. And so I took all these little miniatures that I had made over to his office and he said, I'm not missing another one of your inventions. I'm investing in this. So he did. So we were selling bird cage covers all over the world. <laughs> and I'm still trying to do my fashion. So after about a year, it just got to be too much. And the, the cage cover was called Dirty Bird Cage Guard Cover. Wow. So I was actually designing everything. And I was at the Taste of Chicago. And I noticed that people would walk around trying to juggle a child, a pocketbook, and all the food that they had in their hand. And I thought there's got to be an easy way. So I came up with the easy walkabout tray, where you just put it around your waist. You put all your stuff in the tray. It looks very much like the old-fashioned baby tray mm -hmm. yeah, around your waist. And you could walk around with your purse on your shoulder, your hands are free, and eat. And so <laughs> that was what I was working with when I met Calvin. To, to get that done. And I went from there to um, a, to uh, a status bag. Um, I made this bag. I was in the grocery store one day and uh, the Dominic's, when it was the Dominic's, and there was this guy looking at me and I'm looking at him and, and nobody said anything. So I went back and I said to my 27 year old assistant uh, that this guy looked at me and I looked, and so she said, 
well, did you say anything? And I'm like, no, you're going to think I'm desperate <laughs> or not being a lady. And so I said, you know what? If I had a bag that says single girl shopping, then he would know it was okay to talk to me. Of course, she laughed. So today there are on the market single girl shopping. So <laughs> I made one and I went back to the dominant and the guy said to me, oh, I like your bag. And I said, well, thank you. Now, if you had one, that said single gas shopping, would you buy it? He said, I still would. So there's single girls, single guys, uh, hitched, because we want to know if they got somebody, and um, connected, and what have wow. you with that. So Amazing. I mean, so we're talking fashion design, mm -hmm. pet insurance, mm -hmm. bird cage covers. Mm -hmm. I mean, eating trays for the taste of Chicago and even the single gal bag of which I need to get me one of those in case I'm walking around. Maybe uh -huh. I shouldn't have said that on Monday Mondays. I'd have, have put myself out there. But, yeah. <laughs> but what's amazing is what drives your creative process as you bring about all of these different types of inventions? Like, well, is it just a moment that happens or? Maybe it's best explained this way. So when, when the economy got really bad, in 2010, 11, 12, and everybody was going under, I figured, you know, I started with $50. I can survive this. So I was in a Target, and there was a young man in there having a war with his mom because she needed two different color hoodies in order to represent his ball team. And I'm listening to this conversation because her answer is no pick one. And later on, I was inducted, in, and I left, so I don't know if he got it. But later on, I was inducted into the Library of Congress as a style maker. And a school asked me if I would come out and talk to their kids. And whenever I get a chance to talk to kids, I go. So I, afterwards, I went over to a commissary store to get something to drink. And the guy said to the kids who came in with their backpacks and their hoods on, I'm sorry, but you kids can't come in here wearing those hoods. And I thought, why not? And it was explained to me the bad rap that hoodies had gotten because of the Trayvon Martin murder. And I remember the day when we couldn't wear denim anywhere. You could wear jeans nowhere. But when we designers embroidered them and put stones on them and charged you $900 a pair, you could wear them anywhere. So I went back to the design studio and I created what was called a swap out hoodie with a zipper down the back, a zipper in the front. You can move the pieces apart and add in any colors. And Beyonce wore it in her lemonade video. So the rest is history. That is amazing. So I see a need and I work to create a solution for it. And you know what? I really want to emphasize what you just said about your swap out hoodie because our team actually sent me some information. And it, it says that you actually made history as the first African-American woman to be awarded Designer of the Year honor by the Apparel Industry Board of Illinois in 2014 as you change uh uh, athleisure wear with this swap out hoodie. And so the fact that, I mean, your, your fashions are now even being worn by people like Beyonce, that just speaks volume to who you are and the quality of your work, not just your work, but also the quality. But I was already sold when you told me that you owned a, a shop on Magnificent Mile. That was enough for me. <laughs> but I gotta tell you how we got the clothes there that night. So I ran out of shopping bags, right? So my crazy friend Beverly said, well, we got these black uh, uh, garbage bags. We're going to put the clothes in them. And I'm like, we can't go on Michigan Avenue with black clothes, garbage bags. She said, yes, we can. <laughs> so we did. Listen, do what you got to do. Look, inventors, if you are listening, when you are starting out, you do what you got to do, okay? <laughs> Listen, they won't see the garbage bag by the time the store opens. There you, you go. Get it so there. my latest invention, which has attracted the Illinois uh, restaurant industry, is a mask. It's called wow. Eco um, Unzip uh, Face Mask. And I came up with that again because of the need. When I heard that we were going to be going back to work and people needed to eat, drink, walk, talk, and breathe comfortably, and the city had already given me during the pandemic uh, a contract, actually the mayor and the city awarded me a contract for a million masks. And uh, I finished those in 30 days and, 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 and the rest is history there and invented this mask. Mask off, I put it in my purse and then there I'm like, what did I do with my mask? There you go. Uh-huh. Well, it's not safe. You know, I saw people who would take the mask off, put it on the dining table, 
and or put it in their pocketbook or put it in their pocket or put it on the floor. And what we don't know is if the mask is supposed to catch the virus and it has caught some and you put it in those places, that all you're doing is contaminating those places. And wow. that's not healthy. So Man. I came up with this and we made it safe by the inside is MERV. MERV 16. Now MERV is the fabric that the N95s are made from. And also that throwaway mask that you just had, that's a MERV 13. I used to do a lot of work for the military in masks, so I know. And so we have that, that in the middle. This is the fashion part. But the back here is treated with antimicrobial, which is silver, and that is also protected. So we did that. And then the last thing is my hat. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hat with a zipper. Wow. Unzip it, and you can add in another piece and have a different color. Swap out hat. I like it. Wait, 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 wait. Hold, hold on. And then when you just want to be stylish, <laughs> Yes, snap it back. Check you out. Oh, wow. Listen, well, I hope my wardrobe was pleasing enough because I am here with the great fashion designer today. <laughs> yes, I'm known for coats and sports and sportswear. So. Wow. Ms. Jamiko, it has been a pleasure having someone of your caliber and your stature and stats. I mean, like, it's just been a phenomenal moment to be here with someone who to me is a phenomenal woman and that has actually treaded and, and taken such new territory when it comes within the fashion industry. I mean, I am almost speechless. I can't even have the time to figure out what I want to say to you. <laughs> but it has been a pleasure for me to meet someone um, like you. This has been an awesome segment. But where can our audience get some of your gear and your products that you have that are available? Jermico.com. The Masters partnered with the Illinois Restaurant Association to raise money for workers who were so devastated during this pandemic. And so that's what we'll be doing. So look out for that announcement because they're putting it out there. Well, thank I'm, you I'm proud much. of that one because it'll help somebody. So it's like giving back that way. That's awesome. And they so can go to jermico.com and that spells J-E-R like Robert, M-I-K-K-O.com. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for coming on our segment. And Money Monday audience, when you see me from now on and uh, and I'm out with my high fashion mask on and it zips up and down, you just know that I got that from Ms. Jamiko. All righty, yeah. we thank you for coming on our segment. We do have one more guest who's coming up. So stay tuned, Money Monday audience. So joining me now is Jacqueline Bradley, the owner of the patented technology for the Transmax CPR patent stimulator. Ms. Bradley, welcome to Money Mondays. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. So what is the Transmax CPR patent stimulator and how has it transformed the way in which we look at CPR? Well, um, the technology is one that when the patent was issued, it was primarily issued due to the fact that the skin is transparent in nature, allowing the students to see what's really going on inside the body during resuscitation. And the thing that um, assists with that process is the fact that it has lights. And so when a student is performing CPR, this mannequin will respond by lighting. Once you begin the process of the compressions, you won't get perfusion right away. You have to give it so many uh, correct compressions before the mannequin will begin to light and the organs will begin to respond, letting the students know that oxygen is getting to the brain. And that is basically the primary um, goal of what we want to accomplish when performing CPR. That's awesome. And so can you tell us what inspired this stimulator? Well, you know what? Um, I am not the original inventor. Wow. I own the technology. I met the young man some years back uh, by the name of O'Neill Flash. And um, he reached out to me because he wanted assistance with his project. And at that time, you know, I was working a full-time job and I wasn't really interested in getting involved. So I introduced him to someone that could possibly assist. 
Well, long story short, it came back around to me. I began assisting uh, with the project by backing it financially, um, aiding with the process of um, getting the, the patent. Once the patent had been issued, Mr. Clash was not able to see it through. And um, he eventually assigned the patent over to me. Wow. And um, with that, I started a, a company. I went back to the manufacturer, made a lot of upgrades to what you're seeing here today. And um, everything else is history. Wow. And so how has this invention transformed just people who want to get their CPR certificates or certifications or even the medical industry in general? Well, you know what? Um, when the technology was created, proof of concept was done um, by traveling to different industry uh, segments whether it was hospitals, nursing schools, medical facilities, childcare providers, fire departments. I mean, you name it, we've been there. So what has been the, the biggest feedback is the fact that it creates intuitive learning. You don't really have to think about what you're doing. Um, there's like a synapse that happens when using this type of technology not only do the students become more aware of the functionality as to why they're being asked to do the compressions, why they're being asked to provide the breaths, but they're putting in the effort. They're not just going through the motions anymore. Um, and so with it being intuitive learning, Students are able to, and, and that's been the feedback that we've received, that they've been able to recall what they should do when they are performing CPR. That's awesome. And so when you talk about the technology, can you tell us how, so how does the mannequin work? You know what, if you wouldn't mind, I would love to explain it to you and, and I will um, participate in that. But there's something that I'd really like to do. There are so many inventors, especially people of color that have come up with ideas that don't necessarily get the credit for it. And so, you know, I, I would like to ask Mr. Clash, if he would, I, I called him when you guys reached out to me and I told him that I was gonna be coming on to do my first interview stateside. You know, I, I've been traveling all around the world with Transmet, but um, I called him to let him know that I would be sitting down with you guys on today. And I asked him if he wouldn't mind coming so that I can give him an opportunity to kind of share his story. Awesome. Um, if you guys are okay with that. It's totally fine. Bring him on okay. in. Mr. Clash, can you, will you join me? Thank you. Okay. So, Mr. Clash, welcome on to Money Mondays. It's a pleasure to meet you. Pleasure, my pleasure. So, Mr. Clash, you can tell us then, what, how did you come up with this invention? Well, being in uh, the medical background, I have a 20-year medical background, and I used to do CPR on real people. And I became a CPR instructor and realized that people were not actually learning how to do CPR correctly. So I came up with the uh, idea of, of making a mannequin that's transparent so you can see what goes on inside the body during resuscitation. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm sure that right now this, this mannequin itself is transforming the way in which we think about CPR, is transforming the entire certification process. Between the two of you, I know that the two of you are gonna do a demonstration. I really wanna see it light up. So can you show us how, this, how your invention works? Yes, yeah, so there are a lot of things that are going on with the technology that I'm not at liberty to say because I've just recently applied for a new patent. Okay. But what I will do is I'm going to, I'm going to remove the skin number one um, so that you can see the functionality of the, of the device. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn them on. And if you're able to see the lights are on 
the lungs have been lit, the brain was lit, letting you know that there's oxygen. But when a student is performing CPR, according to the guidelines set forth by the American Heart Association, so if they are compressing two inches in depth at a rate of 100 to 120 compressions per minute, giving it the right speed and rhythm for performing CPR, then this mannequin will begin to respond by lighting. After so many compressions, the heart and the orc and the, and the lungs will begin to light and eventually there will be perfusion and then you will eventually see the brain being lit. So what I'd like to do right now is, it, this uh, technology comes with different simulations for those um, industries such as medical schools or nursing schools, they're able to link up via the Wi-Fi that the uh, technology currently has. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna first do a demonstration showing you a scenario where the mannequin will start out with a normal sinus rhythm, meaning that everything will be working fine. You will get an opportunity to hear the mannequin breathing. You will see gas exchange by the different colors of the lights. And then what you will see is I will then put the mannequin into cardiac arrest you'll see the brain begin to dim out. And then eventually you will see the heart flicker like a bowl of jello, which is called V-fib or ventricular fibrillation before the mannequin flatlines. So I'm gonna go ahead and start it to let you get that. So right now he's breathing. Right now we have a normal sinus rhythm. Everything is working properly. Now we're going into cardiac arrest. The sound that you're hearing now is called agonal breathing. So what the mannequin just did right now is flatline. If this had been a real life human being and hooked up to a heart monitor, uh, in a medical facility, then on the machine, you would have seen the lines, you know, moving accordingly. And then it'll flatline when the victim's heart stops beating. So right now, at this point, when we do these types of scenarios with the students, it's at this point that we let them know that time is of the essence. Um, every single minute that goes by, the victim is going to lose 10% survivability. So we like to demonstrate and show our students that they need to act right away. Right now, we have the buildup of the carbon dioxide, and the main goal is to manually pump the heart so that we can allow for the blood to flow, pushing out the, the carbon dioxide, allowing for the oxygen, to, to remain in the brain. And so um, I'm gonna just move over and allow Mr. Clash to give you a demonstration on compressions. Can you see me? Yes, they can see. Okay. So with his hands being properly positioned over the chest, the student would then begin the series of the 30 compressions before they would move on to the two breaths. Typically, CPR is always done on the floor. If you do not perform CPR correctly, the mannequin um, will not respond or it will respond by not giving you the perfusion. Wow. And so when you guys were in the developmental stage of creating this, how long did it take you to create this invention? Okay, here, let's turn this off for a sec. So the the process began back in what 2009. 2009, when I made the first model. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, Mr. Clash, I do want to acknowledge the fact that you did bring him back to life. I did hear breathing again. So <laughs> let's first acknowledge that. So let's first acknowledge that. But you were stating 2009? Yeah, 2009 was the first one. And, uh, wow. Like Jack was saying, you can do CPR on the floor, not, not on, you know, actually on the table. So. Got it. And so I have a question because I, I really don't, I'm not certified in understanding CPR and things like that. Is the process primarily the same, whether it's a woman, a male, I see that this is a male mannequin. So is the process the same, whether it's a female or male or even a child? Well, you know what? The process is basically the same, except when you're performing CPR on adults, you're going to use two hands. When you're performing CPR on children, you're going to use one hand. And when you do it on babies, you're going to use two fingers. Hmm. And so what I did is people always want to know, you know, what do you do with the female anatomy when you're performing CPR? Or what happens when you crack a rib? And then we get into things like listening for breathing. And so in the new models, um, these features have been incorporated. So the skins are interchangeable. So you see here, it started out with the male anatomy. Now you have the female anatomy. Wow. So now students are able to see where they should have proper hand placement mm. if they're working with a uh, female victim. That's good. That's good to yeah. know. Yeah, we, we incorporated the sound of ribs cracking so that students know if you crack ribs, you keep going. We are able to simulate the weight of the mannequin to go anywhere from a 100 pound victim up to a 300 pound victim, letting uh, students know that it will require more force to perform CPR. Wow. And so with something like this, is there several patents that go into play in order to create this one invention? Or is this all under one patent? It's, it's primarily all up underneath a utility patent, uh, which was issued back in 2016. That covers all of the uh, aspects of the technology. But I recently went back in um, to do a second patent that will cover all of the upgrades that have been done to the uh, to the new models. Well, you know what? I want to say to the both of you, congratulations. I think that this is absolutely excellent. And I'm sure that it will revolutionize a lot of what we do within our medical in, uh, industry, especially right now. There are so many things that are happening medically that I believe that inventions like this are paramount and they're definitely essential as we're moving forth as a country and a nation. If, there, if people would like to purchase your invention, where can they go to one, even learn more about the Transmax, but where can they go specifically to, to purchase? Well, we, I, I do have a website, which is Global CPR Tech. So that's globalcprtech.com. When it comes to the manufacturing or the purchasing of the units, I actually, I shut down production uh, last year. Um, I went back to the manufacturer for the upgrades, but cost has increased so tremendous that um, we need to work some things out. So I, I just returned from Atlanta last weekend, meeting with uh, a new company for manufacturing. The current guys are basically uh, makers of prototypes. So all of the mannequins that have been created were basically done by hand. I'm looking to automate the system and streamline the processes so we're not currently selling the mannequins, but all of the ones that we have, we are utilizing them to, um, to train with. And so um, if anyone is interested in getting the certification, whether it's BLS, um, ACLS, it, it really doesn't matter. You're able to use this technology and um, they can reach out to us once again on our website or they can reach us by dialing direct to the office which is 779-333-0818 
Awesome. And so Ms. Bradley and Mr. Clash, we definitely want to thank you so much for coming and taking time to come on our podcast today to share the CPR, the Transmax CPR stimulator. I believe it's a phenomenal invention. And hey, to all of our investors who are always out here watching, there may be an opportunity here. So she's giving you her direct email as well as her phone number. Be sure to reach out to her if you are interested in investing in this type of invention. We thank you both for coming on. I have no excuses for getting my invention to the marketplace. If there is a money topic you'd like for us to cover, submit your questions in advance to Money Mondays at jbs.edu. Don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell on the Joseph Business School's YouTube channel and social media outlets. On our next podcast, we will continue showcasing inventors at the Carver Innovation Center. Until then, I'm your host, Jill Thompson, and I look forward to seeing you prosper and invent this year. Have a great day, everyone.